Good to be with you this evening. Thankful for the opportunity to get to uh, present the Word of God this evening. In fact, I want to talk about that very topic. Uh, the Bible is from God. The Bible is not uh, from man. There are so many people that try to discredit it and try to destroy it. But the words that the human authors penned were breathed by God. The Bible claims inspiration, and that claim has been tested and proven time and time again throughout the centuries. The Bible outlives, it outworks, it outinfluences its critics. The ironic thing is those critics of the Bible that judge the Word of God. One day it's that very Word that they're going to be judged by. It's like an anvil that has worn out many hammers. Many people try to sow discord, uh, doubt, and distrust when it comes to the Scripture. The skeptics do not believe that God can provide the world with his divine will that is infallible. I ask you this evening, do you love the word of God? What is your view of scripture? Do you believe it's all inspired? Do you believe that it's all sufficient? I think a good gauge to measure how much we love God is to consider how much we love the Word of God. Look at the third chapter of 2 Timothy. This chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, begins with Paul warning Timothy about dangerous times and some Christians would be swept away by these perilous times and some would go into hiding neither option is good we are to stand strong and to stay in the word of God and at the end of this chapter in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 Paul writes to his son in the faith he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What is the Bible good for? Four things there in verse 16 that I want us to talk about. I understand Kevin only talked about one thing this morning. I'm going to have four points in this lesson. But uh, scripture, what is it profitable for? Now, I understand what Kevin preached on, and I'm sure he did a, a wonderful job. I look forward to seeing that uh, online and uh, appreciate Dan teaching on Revelation in the auditorium this morning. Wish I could have been here to hear that. The first thing Timothy is told that the Bible is profitable for is that this divine breathed word of God, the Bible is profitable for doctrine. That's teaching. Teaching. In the New King James Version that I normally study from, 
That's a word that's used 42 times. And it's interesting that the first time, I believe that word is used in the New King James Version, is in Job chapter 11 and verse 4. And it's one of the so-called friends of Job. This is Zophar, and he speaks, I think, less than the other friends of Job to Job. Uh, he speaks here in Job chapter 11 and also in Job chapter 20. But he's perhaps the most confrontational in speaking to Job. And probably has the most lack of humility in speaking to Job. But in rebu rebuking Job, Zophar quotes him and probably is misrepresenting what Job said. But he says in Job 11 and verse 4, For you have said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in your eyes. Is your doctrine pure? Is your teaching pure? The Bible reveals what is right and therefore what is wrong, what is truth and what is error. It remains the truth whether we read it or not, whether we believe it or not, whether we practice it or not. It is the eternal word. It is the way of God. In John chapter 17 and verse 17, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus makes a request to the Father concerning the apostles. He asked the Father in John 17 and verse 17 to sanctify them by your truth. And he revealed the fact that God's word is truth. It is not a truth, it is not some truth, it is the truth, it is all truth. Four times in the longest psalm, Psalm 119, Psalm 119, the psalmist writes four different times, Oh, how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. My meditation all day the day. How much does it mean to you? The Psalms really open up uh, with chapter 1, the first Psalm, in saying what is to be our delight, what is to be our counsel. It's not to be the sinners, it's not to be the skeptics, it's not to be the scornful. It is to be the Word of God. And we should find our delight in the Word of God, meditating upon it night and day. Our minds should be there. We should love the truth. Some of the best advice I could ever give you is to love the truth, to love it. Only the truth will save you. In John 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, he said, if, and that's a big two-letter word, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free. Free from sin. Rejecting the truth will only prevent you from being saved and you will die in your sins, John 8 and verse 24. The Apostle Paul loved the Word of God. 
And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, he speaks of those who did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. I'm telling you this evening not to be delusional, but to love the truth with all your heart and to seek it always. Never think that you've arrived and you know it all, but you seek it continually because it's that that saves you. Proverbs 23, 23 tells us to buy the truth and sell it not. Have you ever had a possession that you would not take anything for? Any ridiculous offer, you would turn it down without even thinking. That's the way the truth is to be to us. We are to buy into it and to hang on to it and not sell out or compromise for anything or anyone. So many yet attempt to discredit and destroy God's means for saving us. Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to salvation to all who believe to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But yet there's so many people that think they're just too smart to accept this teaching in the Bible. And they've studied under perverters of the truth and they've swallowed their lies. They've bowled into that. And I sure would not want to be in their shoes come judgment day. Again in Job, in Job chapter 23 and verse 12, we read, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You do without food a little while. You're going to be craving that. You're going to be hungering for that. It says, the words of his mouth, God's mouth, God breathed words. He craves, he treasures, he values more than that necessary food. So scripture is profitable for doctrine. That's the way it's established, our teaching. And I appreciate the love of the truth of my brothers and sisters here at El Bethel. But number two, Paul goes on to say that it's profitable for reproof. That is bringing our attention to sin. It gives evidence. It gives proof of one's sin. It defines what sin is. How can we know that we miss the mark if we don't know what the mark is, what the standard is? The Bible makes that clear to us. It proves one. It proves sin, therefore by rebuking and convicting us of it. And it gives warning of it. David spoke of the warning that he received from the Word of God in Psalm 19, verse 11. Psalm 19 and verse 11, David wrote, Moreover by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Do you remember when we studied through Ezekiel early on in Ezekiel chapter 3? And how excited would you be about being given the task that he was given by God? You know, you go teach these people. You go uh, talk to them. You go tell them my word. But they're not going to listen. Their necks are stiff. They're, 
hearts have hardened. They're not going to hear you. Their ears, they're going to close to you. But in Ezekiel 3, verses 17 through 21, he was commanded to give warning from God to the people. In Colossians 1 and verse 28, concerning Christ, Paul said, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Timothy, in the next chapter from the text we're looking at this morning, this evening, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul tells him, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Somebody asked me Friday night if my ears were burning, and I knew what they meant. Conversation, they got really dull. They were talking about me. But what about your ears? Are they ever itching? If your ears are itching, I hope they're itching for nothing but the truth. Too many people are wanting to to have their ears, their itch scratched and hear stuff that is not true that will justify them living in their sins and continuing to do that. The philosophy of the modernist is to approach the Bible with doubt and skepticism. They determine what the pages of the Word of God say before they ever even look at the pages in the Word of God. They don't want their reckless and their sinful ways exposed. They don't want to hear that they are living in sin because they despise to be rebuked and censored. Yet, that is what God provides for us in His Word. That's one thing it's profitable for, is reproof, letting us know what sin is and our involvement in it. My job, your job, is to warn people of the jeopardy, the danger, the threat, and destruction that looms ahead because of their sin. To warn them. We need to heed the words that God told Isaiah in Isaiah 58 and verse 1. He said, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. We would be remiss if we do not warn of the era of those that teach falsely and give people false hope. Um, we need to warn them. We need to rebuke them. We need to censor them to the best of our ability. But the Word of God, it has the ability to reprove. But the third thing that Paul mentions in verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3 is that the divinely breathed Word of God has the ability, it is profitable for correction. After being reproved, after seeing evidence of what you're doing that is wrong, after being reproved and realizing your involvement in sin, we are not left wondering what we need to do about it, what the answer is, what the solution is. Because the all-inspired, all-sufficient, infallible Word of God shows us how to correct our spiritual condition. It provides us with what is necessary to reform 
and to straighten up our lives. Psalm 119, Psalm 119 and verse 9, we read, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Love what David wrote in Psalm 19. He starts out in the first 16 verses talking about, we can see evidence that God exists by creation, by observing it day into day. We can know that God exists. But then he talks about how we can really know God, and it's in his word. And in verses 7 through 9, he uses about six different illustrations about the word of God. In Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10, we read, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So many people want to correct everyone else but their self. Self-knowledge is the most difficult knowledge for us to comprehend. We oftentimes try to compare ourselves with others. But we're going to be judged in comparison to the Word. The Word is what's going to judge us. That's the standard, not others. Too many people despise being corrected. But the Word of God tells us what we need to do to get right and to stay right with God. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, we're told, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Too many times... When we're being corrected, we don't take it right. Now, I know sometimes people are not good at telling us what we need to do to correct our lives. They don't show a lot of love and compassion. But we're not accountable for that. We're accountable for how we respond to some constructive criticism. And I tell you, when the elders, if they say, I need to meet with you, and they point out something that they're observing... And, and they see maybe that you're backsliding in the faith and they're concerned about you, realize that they're, they love you. They love you. It's not easy to do what they're doing. But they love your soul. And they're given accountability for that. So realize that that comes from love. The Bible, what it says about how we need to correct our lives, we need to take it to heart. And we need to do it. We need to get rid of the pride and submit to it. You know, some things that the Bible says for us to do come pretty easy to us. Oh, and that is sweet. Sweet as honey. But some of that is tough to swallow, and it's bitter to the stomach. 
But that, as they say, is where the rubber meets the road. What are you going to do when you read something in here that goes against what you want to do? Are you going to heed it? Are you going to practice it? I hope so. Because our soul salvation depends upon it. The final thing, number four, that Paul mentions in verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3 is that the divinely breathed word is profitable for instruction in righteousness. When we obey the gospel, we're not to just kick back and and believe our ticket to heaven is punched. There's nothing that we need to, to do. When we obey the gospel, we are to continue to grow in the Lord by following the instruction of his word. It will fully equip us. It will furnish us completely. Don't look anywhere else. These self-help departments and bookstores, sections, are filled with books. And too many of them don't carry copies of the Word of God anymore. But that's the best self-help for us. is that instruction in righteousness. And Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. In 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16, the first correspondence that Paul wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith, he was instructed by the Apostle Paul to take heed to yourself and to the doctrine Continue in them, for in doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. You know, I didn't mention the verses that come right before the text that we're looking at this evening. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you'll back up just a couple, verses 14 and 15. But you must continue in the things which you have learned... And been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy had a lot to be thankful for. Since his childhood, he had been taught the holy scriptures. He had a very concerned and loving grandmother named Lois and mother named Eunice. I think I got those right. I tell you, one thing I've been impressed about since I've been a part of this group is how much effort the teachers put in teaching the Bible classes. Recently, a substitute taught a class of young kids. My grandson was in that class. And I could not believe how, they, how well they knew the material. I came out of that class feeling so uplifted, so encouraged about the future, because the Word of God's being taught and it's been taken seriously. That's not time just to get the kids out of the auditorium and get them to color something and keep them occupied. It's to start teaching them about the Word of God. And hopefully that seed will be planted and it will grow and they will be productive. And their souls will be in heaven one day. And who knows how many they can help go to heaven with them. I appreciate that so much. 
and how much thought goes into all the, the Bible classes here and the program here. In 2 Peter chapter 1, in verses 3 through 11, it gives instruction on growing unto maturity. Look at 2 Peter 1 and verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. That's what saved always saved, but it comes with a big if. If you do these things, if you're abounding in these eight things that he mentioned specifically, then you will never fall. The Word of God is profitable for instruction in righteousness, and this book will lead us to eternal life. To the critics who claim that anyone could write a book and say that it is, is, it is inspired of God, I simply say, please do. Please do. Write your book. Give it every claim of inspiration. And let's see how it compares to the Bible. Let's see how it withstands the test of time. Invite the critic of the Bible to give us another one. Something more inspired. Something more life-changing. The great critic, our professor, our skeptic, is surely smarter than the writers of this book, the human writers. Smarter than a Galilean fisherman 2,000 years ago. Oh, they have so many qualifications and degrees and all the culture and brain power necessary to write a brilliant document. It should be easy for someone so superior. But of course, you and I know it's impossible. Impossible for them to write anything like the Word of God. Perhaps you've seen a lot of things in your life, but you've never seen anything greater in the words of God. Perhaps you've heard a lot of things. Perhaps some things you wish you had not have heard. But you have heard nothing greater. Your ear has not heard anything greater than the word of God. It is God's revelation to us. The grass withers. And I'm kind of thankful that's going on right now, Dickie. I'm getting tired of Venmoing you all the time. But uh, the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. What can compare to this book? This book. Friday night, I visited a funeral home in Tullahoma. And I've seen a lot of things in caskets with the remains of the dearly departed. But to see that New Testament in Psalm in Brother Raider's hands, I knew that his family knew that he loved this and he lived by this and he taught this and he made sacrifices to teach this his whole life. 
And perhaps he didn't have a lot of worldly goods to leave them. But he left them with a love for the Lord and his word. And that makes them rich. Rich. And I understand he had so many of these, this, this very size, that all of his grandkids got one of those. Cherish. Cherish that. Cherish it. The Word of God, Paul says to Timothy, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you're not a Christian, it tells you what you need to do. Look at Acts. See the accounts of the com those converted to Christ, those that were cleansed of their sins through baptism. Hear the word of God. Believe it as the truth, all truth, the truth. Submit to it. Repent of your sins. Confess you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you do, and be immersed in water, washing away your sins. And you'll become a child of God, and you continue to grow by studying the Word of God, by coming to Bible classes, by teaching others. It's a growth process. It's a growth process that perhaps can go 93 years. If you're already a Christian and you need to repent, God stands ready to forgive. Come if you need to while together we stand and sing.